welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Welcome to the show. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you guys some powerful information about entrepreneurialism and, you know, all things tax legal and how to make a bunch of money. Wonderful. Wonderful. (laughs) That's that's always what I like to hear. So I'd like to start off by asking how you describe yourself and what you do. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, a lot of different people describe me like in different ways, depending on how they know me, um, and what I'm doing. I think like by nature, I kind of become, you know, I'm a kind of a creature of my surroundings, right? I'm an attorney. I'm a real estate investor. Um, I'm really deep into like spiritual growth as like, and how that like applies to make us better at, you know, life, but also business being a part of life. How does that, um, increases there. So, um, the way I make money right now is by helping real estate investors with like protecting and hiding assets using advanced structures like series LLCs and land trusts to be able to protect, you know, protect wealth, right? And hide it so people don't know where it's at uh, yeah. for them to come after it, which a lot of people are excited about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I usually jump right into your background, but I want to start with the, the hiding of assets because you just started with that. So... Is that something that, let's say, the average investor would actually want to do, or is that something where we're like, oh, yeah, clearly people with lots of money want to hide assets so that they're uh, not, you know, in case they get sued, people don't go after them. So is it, like, can anybody, is it a good thing to do for everybody, or is it just, like, once you reach a certain uh, level of wealth? Yeah, well, I mean, I had a friend that lost, you know, $3 million in real estate from a single lawsuit. Um, and he had insurance in place. And so now my recommendation to everybody is saying, if you have two or more properties and you're a real estate investor, you're going to need asset protection. If you have more than a quarter million dollars in worth, you should, you know, get asset protection put in place because it's like that oh shit insurance mm-hmm. that, you know, stuff happens from a car accident you don't expect or an ancillary business deal goes sideways on you. If you have all of your assets in your personal name, then one thing goes wrong in your life threaten everything you have um and the solutions to that are really affordable to just take that possibility off the table yeah so what's the so, the, so like what's like the the bare bones basic of that is it setting up like separate llcs and then having different assets in, in those names or like just the like if you had to do the you know for dummies version uh how would you yeah. describe that well the what I used to think was the best way to do it when I learned in law school, right, was that you would just do like a traditional normal LLC, right? And I bought my first piece of real estate while I was in law school and, and ran a transmission auto repair shop during my second year of law school and flipped it um, after law school and graduated without debt uh, because of that. And up until that time, I thought LLC, yeah, LLC is the way to go, right? And comes to find out that, um, you know, after I left my litigation practice and I started going back to real estate investing, um, and uh, my first client actually hired me to figure out what's the best asset protection you can do for real estate investors. That's when I started to find out about 
um, all of these other structures you can use regarding series LLCs that you can form in one state and use everywhere. You can use land trust to be able to hide all of the assets. Um, the series LLC is cool because you can create one company with one bank account, one EIN number, one tax return, but you can create an infinite number of these child series mm-hmm. on your own desktop. Each one of them acts like its own LLC. So it can compartmentalize every asset if you're a real estate investor or be used to run multiple businesses and you get to create, you know, companies for free on your desktop with no filing fees or anything. Right. So it becomes like this ultra powerful tool for business people, but especially investors. Um, but the, the, the neat pieces is when you can layer in these really neat, um, protection structures in with anonymity trust and, and then using an attorney because now your name doesn't appear on any of the public records. If anybody inquires about it, it all ties back to an attorney, which the whole thing is then protected by the attorney client privilege. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people that are thinking, Hey, the economy, you know, might be looking shaky. You know, that means, you know, litigation is going to be higher than ever. It's been increasing over the last couple of years, and that should only continue to grow. Um, if you're thinking that way, then asset protection is, is a way to uh, make sure that you're not a target. Yeah. And that's kind of I specialize in is giving people peace of mind. Great. So why why is there more litigation in a down economy? Uh, it's because when people can't create on their own, they try to take it from somebody else, right? People become more likely to be desperate for money, filing for those lawsuits. Remember, like attorneys also have to eat, right? <laughs> so in and, and a down economy, um, attorneys are much more likely to file litigation claims because they can't really make money doing anything else. So what they do is try to find people to file lawsuits, and then they get like a share. What they call that a contingency fee. Right. Which really means they get paid on commission. So they find people so they can get paid on commission to extort money out of innocent people most of the time. Right. Um, with these legal claims. Right. And that's nothing new. I think we all kind of see that on billboards and radio and kind of intuitively all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, what people don't know is that those attorneys are usually really lazy. So all you have to do is just make yourself more difficult to eat than the next fish. And then those sharks just go to the easier fish. Hmm. That's really simple. Okay. That's good. So let's backtrack a little bit. Um, uh, what made you want to become a lawyer? Um, well, fundamentally, I thought lawyers were, like, respected, right? And I was like, oh, this will be good. You know, I'm not really doing anything with my life right now besides training jiu-jitsu and kickboxing and doing tutoring. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I was like, I'll become a lawyer because then I'll be, you know, I'll be respected as like, I'm a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I didn't realize at the time is that, you know, that whole game of like respect is a joke anyway, right? Like the, the whole, the whole thing unravels around the fact of saying, are you really happy with what it is that you're doing? And if you are, then it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks anyway, because most people don't have a clue about their own lives, much less yours right um but i wasn't mature enough and i didn't really understand that you know being you know in my Mm mid-20s at the time great (laughs) sure so you you mentioned this briefly so while you were in law school you owned a mechanic shop why a mechanic shop uh it was just an easy business to get into. We could buy a building super cheap and it had an active business doing like auto repair and transmission repair. Mm-hmm. And so we thought 
make some money at it. Um, I had a partner with me that he knew how to run the business side of it on terms of like the actual auto repair. And I could, you know, run all the other pieces with generating clients. And then, um, that's what we did as we ran that son of a gun to, to improve the business and, and uh, improve the building and then just flipped it at the end. So yeah, uh, it so turned out to be a deal. Well, good. So, but I, so I'm, I'm curious, it's like, you know, for the average person, what were you, so what, made you confident that you could do that where there is it just because of, of what you had been studying were there books you were reading was it the business partner you had or what was it in that moment where you're like yes auto mechanic i will buy this this place right now while i'm in law school and i will i'm confident enough that i will be able to flip it at the end yeah um so probably like a combination right i probably was thinking i got a partner here that knows how to do the day-to-day mm-hmm you know, I can advise me on that. Um, I think I could, I was like, well, I, I know I enough to be able to, you know, do the books and I'm pretty crafty about being able to generate leads. Like I got us a bunch of free publicity in the newspapers, you know, like age, um, work. Um, but really, man, I, I think like you just gotta, you find, you find good deals that you just look at it and you say, well, probably could sell this for what I'm buying it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's give it a shot and see if I can, you know, spend three months at it, see if I can improve it. Um, and, but you really won't know a lot until you just jump into it. Sure. Um, that's why I'd like the buy is so important in the business. Like when you're buying a business, like buying it for the right price, it becomes the whole gambit because if you can buy it, just like buying a used car, mm-hmm. I would never buy a new car if I can buy a used car for $5,000 and sell it for $5,000 next year. Mm-hmm. Like, cause then I lost zero and I got a free car. Right. Right. So if you can get, buy businesses that are like that, um, then you can buy them, dry them out, see how they work. Okay, great. I suck at this and just jump to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, oil legal solutions has been really different because that's a true startup. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an entirely different animal. Right. So in, in your experience, then, what are like, are there particular businesses you would look at if you were to do it again as ones that you could, you know, you know, like your, your used car analogy, buy something that's already in place that's used, that's being that's doing well that you could then, you know, flip a, a certain time later. Are there particular types of a business you look for with that or it just varies based off of the industry? Uh, I don't, there's a whole class of people that do that, that are usually MBA grads that they just scout for buying a business for years to find the right business. Okay. And they get into weird stuff. Like I really want a porta potty business in East Texas. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what they get excited about, but they're reviewing like tons and tons of different kinds of businesses and they're genius business guys. Right. Sure. I'm not okay. like I'm a, I'm really good at being able to, find like opportunity and being able to kind of sniff out to be like, Oh, there's actually a bunch of money here. That's not being captured right now. And here's what you would need to do to capture all of that value. But that stuff you would never see like on a spreadsheet. Right. Okay. So that's what that's like my intuitions that's led me to have success. Um, but definitely not the MBA style of entrepreneurialism or business operations. I mean, I have people that do that for me now because we're so large, but, but I still don't. Sure. Okay. When you, and then, so one last little thing with your, with your company, um, 
when you sold it, how did you find a buyer? Did you like was it somebody you already knew? Did you seek out a, a, a third party that helped you sell it? Uh, no, we just it's a mechanic shop, so we just sold it to another mechanic. Okay, man, we just produced the books to them and they bought it and cash. So it's pretty simple. Yeah, on okay. that. So it's, I guess you would call that as like you would have your professional network. Okay. And if you wanted to sell your business, you'd probably sell it to a competitor or somebody that's in your professional network. Sure. Okay. All right. So after you graduated, then you got into litigation. Why corporate litigation? Uh, yeah, we were suing insurance companies. Um, again, that's what I was really good at in law school was litigation work and like really high level um, argumentation for like brief writing, right? Mm-hmm. I really hated the idea of being a transactional attorney um, at the time because uh, I thought transactional work was super boring. I was like, you're just turning the same crank over and over again, you know? Yeah. Um, and litigation is really difficult and it's really stressful and it's really exciting when you win, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wanted to jump into it. And I was really good at it. It's just that um, it just burns you out. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty quick, depending on who you are. So, um, so I was like, ah, I'm gonna get out of here and I'm gonna go back to real estate, which was, you know, something I was, you know, was just much more exciting. There was a lot more I could actually create there instead of just tearing other people's stuff down. And eventually, I, like, worked perfectly because all my litigation skills tied in to exactly what I ended up finding a niche in, in real estate, which is how to protect people from litigation. So I'm kind of dovetailed like that. Oh yeah, that's good. So what what is about your particular say you know personality that makes you a good litigator or what was it about litigation that just made it I guess that I'm I'm curious to see what what it really drew you to being a litigator and what skills make a good litigator. Uh, litigators are going to be people that typically really like debate you know mm-hmm. can argue about anything like on any side it doesn't really matter. They just like enjoy like the art of the argument, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that becomes its own skill, like on its own, right? And can be like used just like anything else can, you know? I think we're all pretty aware of that, like lawyers that'll do that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's what I was just good at. So I just was always, I've, my whole life, I've always really hated to do things that I wasn't good at. And I just wanted to do things that I was good at. <laughs> because that made it fun, right? Yeah. I do that. And like, even now, like I really hate to do stuff that I'm really not that good at. And I'm just like, ugh, what can I just get? What kind of, what are like, what's the one or two things I can focus on that I'm really good at, um, that I'm passionate about, um, that I can just execute that and not have to do all the other stuff. Okay, sure. Okay. So, so you were working as a, a corporate litigator. What was the moment when you decided I'm done? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going back into real estate. Uh, it's after I got my ticket punched, which is usually after you get your first two years on your resume. Mm-hmm. And now like officially you're marketable to like a general market. Your first job, everybody's like taking a risk on you, right? Right. After you get two years of your belt, most employers are like, oh, this is, you know, this is a stable enough person that I can hire them and feel good about that. Mm-hmm. So they call it getting your ticket punched, right? Okay. So I always recommend that if you get, you're going to spend all the money and time to get a professional degree, like probably try to work at it for a couple of years as like your fallback. You know, to say, like, if everything went wrong and I'm deciding I want to sell popsicles, at least I'm an attorney that's choosing to sell popsicles. <laughs> right. You know, right. 
because that's just what you know it just gives you that other option mm-hmm. um i'm a big fan of having fallback plans right like i still have a doomsday van even though i have more money now than i've ever had in my entire life mm-hmm. right um i still have i still have a travel van a sprinter that i converted for long-term travel because i'm like well you never know things could really you know any moment I'll still have my van there and been come to find out like the richest guys that I've know that I've gotten to associate with now yeah. all have the same like mentality just at varying degrees. Like some of them, it's like, Oh, at least I got that $20 million in that offshore, you know, trust account. If everything mm-hmm. really goes wrong, at least they'll have that little nest egg. And to them, that's a little nest egg. Right. Right. But you know, everybody has that degree and I just think it's important for everybody to have some. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. So let's go back to your your van a little bit. So is it is it like a like your bug out bag type of plan van? <laughs> I mean, in a way, right? I mean, it's actually like a super slick um, 3500 series like Sprinter that I modified the whole inside to like a cab, and then has like a queen size bed, cabinetry, a sink, a fridge, solar panels on the roof, wow. bicycles under. You know, can carry all my travel gear to like go to canyoneering, long term hiking, mm-hmm. skiing. So I could like essentially people can live in these vans. I don't think I could for very long, but yeah. it's what I use for travel. But I'm going to go like, ah, I'm going to bug out for three weeks to go, you know, hike the PCT or something. I'll take mm-hmm. it up there and go do stuff. Yeah. So very cool. But if I had to, I can park that sucker right down by a river, you know, fish every day. You know, hot showers off of a solar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shower. I'm down. That's good. That's good. I, I, I like that you're really prepared. That's nice. So, okay, so <laughs> you, you started your your company. Um, I know before you you mentioned you had run the, mechan- the mechanic shop. What was it about this startup that felt different from other things you had done? Um, well, I mean, this piece is that this is just a way smarter startup, right? I mean, it's a digital product. Um, it's a, it's a legal service, so it's really high margin mm-hmm. and we found a way to productize it. So if you can get a business that's information based that you can productize, um, and you can do it all electronically, mm-hmm. um, I would say, you got yourself a good business there because if you can figure out how to generate leads with that, you're going to have enormous amounts of revenue, um, which then makes you be able to make a ton of mistakes. And I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made. Mm-hmm. You know, we had our revenue was such that and our margins were such that I could afford to make a lot of mistakes okay. um, that otherwise would have put us out of business if we had lesser margins, which is why it's important to actually have really expensive products. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what that's what the challenge lies in. It's like, how do you get really expensive products that you can sell that are information based and all digital? <laughs> yeah. So with so, you know, as you are learning this process and building your business, were there were there books you were reading, mentors you had or was it just you had some right partners and you were asking your community? Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always going to be a combination, right? Anybody that tells you it's not, it doesn't, I don't think really fully appreciates the, the tapestry of what it really takes to be successful in their own life. Right. Yeah. So you need to go out and you need to crush all the top books, right. Of like what you hear people talk about podcasts, you hear it a few times, it probably means that it's actually the ones that people are listening to. Like if you haven't read the four hour work week, highly recommend you read that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there's, 
so much good stuff in that. Um, all the stuff that Tim puts out is is really quality stuff. If you really dig into there, try to see like how does his mind think through um, ideas is really powerful. Um, then it also turns into saying like you're not going to know a lot, right? So you have the best way to expand the horizons is actually to start going out and going to meetup groups and starting meeting a bunch of people and talking to them and sitting with them, not for 15 or 20 minutes during the meetup group, but like finding ways where you can go hang out with them for like hours on end mm-hmm. with the smartest people that you can find, which is why friends become really important and having the right friends become really important because those are the people that are going to clue you into things that you'd never thought about before. Right. Because their, their interests are close to yours, but not the exact same. So they're reading different things than you. They have different contacts um, and different networks of information. Um, I didn't even know about BickerPockets.com at all. Like I wasn't even on my radar. Not like I didn't know it at all. I just wasn't even on my radar or something I should even look into, mm-hmm. you know, four years ago. And that was the first podcast I ever got on that launched Royal Legal Solutions. But it was from a recommendation from a guy that I met at the meetup. He's like, oh, you should really get on the podcast. And I was like, I don't even know how I would even do that. Yeah. You know, um, but I figured out a way to get on. And then it was, uh, you know, everything from that. But yeah. if I didn't know that guy from going and hanging out, I wouldn't do it, right? So I think it kind of works like that. Sure. Excellent. What? So in in your industry and in real estate in general, what are some bad advice that you hear constantly being said? Um, yeah, it's really cool on the internet how people like latch on to arguments that keep coming up time and time and time again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ones that we get all the time is like, hey, I have insurance, so you know I'm protected. I don't need company structures, right? Yeah. People typically don't realize that insurance only protects you against one type of liability called accidents. Mm-hmm. doesn't protect you against all the other ones. They don't understand that insurance companies are in the business of collecting premiums and denying coverage. You'll see that on TV anytime there's any type of major accident. Um, and they don't understand about that they actually protect you against different kinds of risk. You know, insurance, we always have insurance because you hope insurance protects you. But if it doesn't, that's when you have a company structure that falls into place to make sure that you have a stop gap. Mm-hmm. That if you're going to lose, you're going to lose very little, right? Nuances to the argument, right? What happens is though is that um, the the collective wisdom online, even among like really smart channels like Bigger Pockets, people will just be positional on like insurance. You're either for it or against it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I was like, wait, no, the argument's actually a lot more nuanced than that, or like the analysis that you went to as like, a business owner is much more nuanced than that, but that's not really how like communal think works, right? Right. right. So people that get it will call us in and they'll buy, buy it stuff to have us help them, you know, put it all in place, right? And those that don't, um, won't. And I used to get really annoyed by it because I was like, hey, I've already posted up four times about <laughs> how this works. So yeah. you guys should have this by now, right? And then, so then I started to do a sort of thing that's like, well, actually, you know, like, I think that's a frustration, but really that's an opportunity, right? And it's an opportunity to say, man, this is a really deeply held belief by a community of people that are very intelligent. And if I can solve, find a way to solve that deep-seated wrong belief that's actually costing all of them a ton of pain, money, right? 
then well, I have created something that has tremendous value and then I'll make money as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So sometimes I have to remind myself in that of like, where do you see things that are wrong, you know, and say, oh, that's actually where the opportunity is, at, you know, and run towards that and yeah. figure out what's going on over there to help those people. Yeah. How do you work with clients um, who become fearful in a down market? Or just in general, when the markets turn, because not everything, you know, markets fl fluctuate. Uh, and those times when either you're fearful or your clients are fearful about something they purchased, how do you work through that? And what advice do you give them? Yeah, so I don't give people any advice, particularly on like their investment that they should or shouldn't do, right? Mm -hmm. um, I work merely on like the whole operational side of it. So we take care of everything from A to Z from investors maintaining their, you know, um, corporate minutes to making sure everything's filed for them so that they can just focus on investing and their bookkeeping, okay. make sure they run their business. We take care of everything else in between, which is yeah. pretty phenomenal with how much you can like make people powerful, right? By giving them more free time to find investments. Yeah. And the reason why that's important is because when they can, you can take somebody and say, well, now you have, you know, three times as much time to focus on your investment. That's really what allows them to not have as much fear because mm -hmm. then they, they can really get in to really analyze like what's actually really happening. They have time to think through what's going to happen in a town market. Maybe this isn't a deal. If I'm worried about the market turning in two years, I need to buy this differently. Like mm -hmm. I need to buy I need to targeting things at a much bigger discount. I need to anticipate the dip or I need to make sure things are cash flowing really strong. Even if it dips, I don't care because the cash flows are so strong because I know these renters are going to be in here yeah. for, for a long time. Right. So it just allows people to approach things really differently. But most of the time, almost all the time, um, you'll find is that fear only can really exist when people are actually living in the future or they're living in the past. There's almost never a time in the present where people really need to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you can find ways to help people live in the present or when they come to you to help them get present, then all of a sudden the fear drops away and people all of a sudden can get real about like what's happening and they can get really centered into saying, OK, this is what I really want. Yeah. I'm um, in that moment. So I say that that's really the biggest tool um, to connect with others is to maybe st study some of those tool sets like NLP and what a lot of great teachers are putting out now is like, how do you communicate with people that helps them get present mm -hmm. so they can get over emotion? Yeah. So that's, that's a, it's very insightful. So how do you communicate with people to help them get present? Um, usually I'll ride the wave. I, I call it riding the wave. And something mm -hmm. I actually learned during, uh, mediation training. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember his guy's name, but I was in Albany, New York taking mediation classes because I thought I was going to be a mediator of all things. And uh, <laughs> law school, they're like, oh, you can entrust me to settle this dispute. I mean, how naive could I possibly have been, right? Yeah. Um, but but uh, there was a teacher in there that talked about saying, like, you know, when people come to you with, like, an incredible amount of anger, um, and this was around, like, helping people mediate from family disputes and all kinds of other things. But when they come with like an, a tremendous amount of anger, most of the time what we typically try to do is shut those down, you know, to be like, Oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, blah, 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 right. And what you notice in that is that that almost never works. Right. Right. Um, to get them to the desired result, but we always keep trying it. And say so we like luckily it's a society. Right. So he said, what you want to do is you want to call it riding the wave or surfing. 
Like they're giving you this wave of energy. Just surf the energy, surf the, the wave with them. Mm-hmm. Like match them in the intensity. And you know, if they come to you like, oh, I can't believe this son of a bitch, blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, oh, I can't believe that's the worst thing that's ever happened. And it's like, can you believe they do that? And then you just get there and match their intensity. And then pretty soon, like they just burn it all the way out. They connect with you in that moment and they burn it all the way out mm-hmm. to like, to allow them to then get settled again. They've depleted all the energy there and now they're present. That's one way of doing it. Okay. Another way of doing it is just to sit and reflect and, you know, practice like reflective listening. Mm-hmm. Just repeat back to like what it is that you, that you're, you're hearing from them so they can feel like they're heard and understood and eventually they'll spin all the energy out. But the worst thing you can try to do is to try to tell somebody to just be different. Oh, be happy. <laughs> you know, like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've had a very interesting career and, and it, it sounds like, you know, you're a lifelong learner and you, and you keep on, uh, dipping into new things and, and new techniques. What would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Uh, the, the best advice I ever received was to just, you know, relax. <laughs> probably. I probably need that <laughs> advice about once a week. I'll tell you the truth here. Yeah. Cause like thing most, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter to me like how good things are going. Mm-hmm. I'm always seeing like how they could be going better. Hmm. And then I put a ton of energy behind that, which makes you successful. There's no doubt about that. But it can also make you miserable at the same time. Because mm-hmm. your world that you live in that you choose to see is always the world of the not, you know, not the world of like what it is and like what's created and what's amazing about it. Yeah. You know, so you, I think it's just really important for us to be careful, you know, about sometimes the things that can create really great success are also the things that can just make you totally miserable if they're checked. Sure. Sure. Excellent. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see more of your work and find you online, what is the best place they can go to do that? Yeah, so the royallegalsolutions.com website is a great uh, space to go for anything you need um, for what I'm doing. We have the the Real Estate Nerds podcast is my podcast where I interview people on their best and worst deals and what they did or didn't do that led them there. Mm-hmm. They also have, uh, if anybody's interested, if you text into Royal, R-O-Y-A-L, to 474747, we'll send you guys the top 10 things you need to know to protect your assets. It's like our free ebook, but it has tons of really great info in there, detailed about, you know, what strategies you can use. Or, you know, if anybody wants to call us up, our number is 512-757-3994. And I think we'll have uh, most of all this uh, information in the show notes. <laughs> yes, he definitely will. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. I will. I'll make sure all of that goes in the show notes so people can click right through. But I, I appreciate you laying it all out for everybody. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here today. Awesome. Thank you again, Scott. Have a good evening. You too. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.